Welcome in everyone to the 22nd episode of the Deep Dive Dynasty Podcast. We have just finished with week one and we are moving on to week two of the 2020 NFL season. Toby, how are you doing? I feel amazing. I missed football the way you miss a long lost lover. <laughs> yeah, it was great to watch those games and I am very excited to talk about the biggest stories, the biggest surprises of week one. And we're going to go through 10 of these players or situations, 10 trends that have gone on in week one, and we're going to discuss if we think they are going to continue or if they were just a one-game outlier. I'm sure you've noticed this episode is being dropped on Thursday, Thursday morning, and that is what we want to do continually for the rest of the season, because that way we are able to record and release our episodes in between different weeks. So we've switched our day from Friday to Thursday, and you can know that going forward, we will always be releasing on the Thursday morning instead of Friday. As always, follow us at Deep Dive Dynasty on Twitter. Let's get right into it, Toby. First name on the list, gonna be first because he's probably the number one surprise, Naheem Hines. So I think even before I get into it, Marlon Mack, his counterpart in terms of running backs for the Colts, is out with the torn Achilles for the season, which leaves Naheem Hines and the rookie Jonathan Taylor. Naheem Hines absolutely balled out. For me, I did believe the narrative that Philip Rivers checks down to his running backs, and I don't know why I didn't follow through and kind of pick up Hines in some of my deeper leagues, because he did exactly that. The role where Philip Rivers, he's uncomfortable in the pocket, he was throwing the ball to Hines. Hines went, what was it, just over 29 PPR points? Yeah, 27.3. He, he rushed mm. seven attempts for 27 yards, which honestly is the stat that really surprised me. The fact that he ran for four yards per carry and got seven attempts, also got a touchdown in the rushing department. And then he went eight targets, eight receptions, 45 yards for a yards per reception of 5.6 and also a touchdown in the air. Yeah. So the question for us is, was this an outlier game? Or is Naheem Hines constantly catching passes and putting up 20-plus points going to be a trend that continues in this 2020 season? I think if it's on my roster, he's either a sell or a hold. Because, okay, so not only is Marlon Mack out for this season, his contract is also up with Indy, and I do project that going forward, this year, next year, beyond, their plan is to have Jonathan Taylor running for the first two downs, and Naheem Hines mm -hmm. has a very solid chance at securing that long-term third down role. He's going to be that PPR guy, and I actually do think that he can put up solid production, so I don't know if I would be wanting to trade for him right now because the ceiling has just been shown. Any owner is going to be probably pretty greedy, but do I actually like him as a type of person that you can slide into your flex spots, your running back two spot if you're having, you know, we've talked so much about this year about needing depth because who knows what the hell's going to happen with this season. You're going to lose people out of nowhere. Jonathan Taylor could get COVID on a random Sunday morning. And do you know what happens? Naheem Hines jumps up to that massive role. So I actually do really like him as a depth piece. But because of how much he exploded, I don't think I'm going out to buy him. And if I'm owning him and people are coming at me with big offers, I would be willing to sell him for the right price. What do you think? My advice is virtually the same thing. 
I, as of right now, wholeheartedly believe in Hines. I think with just JT and Hines, he's going to be such amazing relief for JT, have a different role than JT, mm-hmm. and he's going to carve himself out something very substantial. But because he just absolutely popped off and you have the week one overreactions, wait till week two or three when he has a totally poor performance. The game script goes against him. Something goes wrong in terms of they keep throwing the ball in third downs. Just wait that out, and that's when I'd actually be going to acquire him. Because I agree. Right now, I think you're at a ceiling. Totally. I I don't think he's going to go out and put up the exact same stat line he did (laughs) next week. And I don't think anyone is necessarily paying for that. No one's expecting him to put 25-plus out. True. But his ceiling has been shown, and the fact that this is even in his range of outcomes, the fact that he could eat into Jonathan Taylor's rushing at all. Mm-hmm. And just he will. Yeah, that, that really raises his ceiling in my mind. Well, it sounds like we are collectively agreed that, yes, this is a trend that's going to continue. Naheem Hines has become a fantasy-relevant name. Who would have exactly. thunk it? Okay, next on our list, we're going to go to someone that I've been disparaging it, so I might as well be me to bring it up. DeAndre Hopkins absolutely blows up for his first game on the Cardinals. 16 targets, 14 receptions, 151 yards. That, of course, is a yards per reception of 10.8 and an insane stat is that he was targeted on 40% of his routes in this mm-hmm. game. That number is not continuing, but the trend of him being elite, continuing what he did, is likely to. I do really like DeAndre Hopkins. The reason why I am always, and it's all about the process, I'm going to continue this process the next time a big name wide receiver changes teams. The process says there is a lot of risk added when you go from team to team. We saw it with Odell last year, for example. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. And so when a player moves from team to team, most likely his value goes down. However, with everything like that, there's outliers. And my reaction to week one is that DeAndre Hopkins, like he has been for the rest of his career, is going to be an outlier. This trend is going to continue the fact that he didn't get any touchdowns might even be suppressing his value right now That's, because yeah. 150 yards, 14 receptions is insane. This is going to be a team that's going to throw it like mad, and DeAndre Hopkins is going to be the beneficiary. I would not be surprised to see him end the 2020 season as the number one wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a bold claim pre-draft. And again, I was way hotter on Hopkins than Colin. But I never would have expected this week one performance again. He is an outlier in the fact that new team, not only that, it's a difficult start to the season, no real semblance of a normal training camp, no preseason, against a difficult San Francisco defense as well. He absolutely balls out. And without the touchdowns, his score is manageable enough that, honestly, if you can go after him right now, if there is a trade you could do, I don't think he's at a ceiling right now. And while I'm absolutely shocked about that 40% target share, I did believe that talent would win out. I just didn't think it would happen this quickly. He's obviously the better wide receiver than Fitzgerald yeah, or Kirk. Of course. But I thought it would come week six or seven. He finally establishes himself. He gets that report with Calamari. I think he has it right now. This was not just a one-off 
performance of one guy going nuts. This is the wide receiver with the best skill set as a wide receiver in the league doing what he's going to do. And I think, yes, I agree with you. This trend of Hopkins balling out is going to continue. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to sell him cheap, but that does not mean he's not worth acquiring for a high price. Malcolm Brown, next name up on our list. Got to talk about him because Malcolm Brown was looking quite a bit like Todd Gurley. He was impressive, man. He he just seemed to take at least that Gurley role of, you know what, still going to catch screens going to run the ball up the middle, going to run the sides, and do almost everything I can. I felt that he was running and playing as if he had something to prove to Cam Akers and the Rams coaching staff. I felt he was running hard, and it obviously worked out in his favor. With I mean, he'll be one of the top trending names. The question is, is this trend going to continue? I do think it's actually going to continue for quite a while, but not for years to come or anything like he's not going to become a perennial running back too but I could easily see him being a running back too this season because this is the type of game that it benefited from being in prime time in that everyone saw what they saw and perceptions change because of prime time games much more than community perceptions change in the middle of a Sunday morning slate. Malcolm Brown looked better than Cam Akers, and both looked way better than Daryl Henderson, he, I definitely do expect, will be the lead back for a huge chunk of this season. Assuming he stays healthy, he simply outplayed Cam Akers, and there's no reason from what I saw that they would significantly reduce his workload. Cam Akers, like any rookie, you expect him to gain more and more of the timeshare as the year goes on, and I could totally see that happening. But I don't think Malcolm Brown's going to be irrelevant. I could see Cam Akers fitting into more of a receiver role because he is better in that department, but that does not mean that Malcolm Brown is a total slouch either. So in this game, he rushed 18 times for 79 yards and two touchdowns, which obviously inflates his value. And then in the receiving game, he was targeted four times. He caught three balls for 31 yards, and he looked completely sufficient in that game. And that is, I think, especially what's going to hurt Cam Akers' value early on and potentially throughout the entire 2020 season is that Malcolm Brown just outplayed him. And so I think McVeigh is the type of guy who's going to keep riding the guy who is outplaying his competition. When I watched this game, obviously extremely different players, different playing styles. There was an entire year where Le'Veon Bell was playing for the Steelers and James Conner just sat on the bench and got in the occasional snap, even though he was looking pretty good. Slightly different situation, but I do not think Malcolm Brown relinquishes this role the entire year. I think Akers has a role. He'll be pretty decent at it. Malcolm Brown is going to continually score more fantasy points than Akers all year long. I like Brown. I'm definitely hesitant to say he's going to control the higher percentage of the uh, target share or the workload. But what I do definitely expect, and this is important for fantasy points, is that he looks like the much better bruising goal line type back. Mm -hmm. Like we could talk about Buffalo and Zach Moss got the role that we expected and he's that guy that is what i think even if it becomes a 50 50 that's malcolm brown's role yep and do you know what happened if you look at jared goff one of my guys his stat line he disappointed people in the fantasy 
world. He got, I think it was about 11 and a half points in standard scoring. It was because every single time they got near the end zone, not only did he score two, they were also just drawing up every play. It's like, okay, how are we going to get Malcolm Brown in? Yeah, he, he was effective at it, and it clearly looked like a plan. And that actually does scare me a little bit. I think Jared Goff is still going to have a great year, be near the top of the league in passing yards. But when they get in the red zone, it sure looks to me like... It's Malcolm Brown territory. Yeah, we're going to have another Todd Gurley type situation. But this time, it'll be Malcolm Brown. Do you know who we're going to talk about now? Mr. Unlimited. Unlimited. (laughs) (laughs) To go with the name, Russell Wilson, for maybe the first time in his career was not limited. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> he was Pete cooking. Carroll he decided, was... how about we don't limit this guy? How about we stop rushing the ball? Chris Carson, of total time. rush attempts, six. Mm-hmm. And they did split that amount. I know Carlos Hyde also got seven, but the trend in this game is Russell Wilson was released. They let him yep. throw the ball like crazy, and what happened? They were the best offense of the week. Russell Wilson was absolutely uncorked. My hesitation to absolutely hop on the Russell Wilson fan boat is that I do not think the Falcons' secondary is great. I think they are competent. I do not think they are great. Having said that, Russell Wilson looked fantastic on his feet. He had some really good rushes. His decision-making was insanely excellent. And I believe Russell Wilson is, once again, he's looking at top five QB. Right off the get Yeah, you, you got like to think I, it's very likely. I was pretty hot at him coming into this year. And again, I did not expect this happening as early as week one. But I think they have a pretty fine-tuned offense running at this point. Not a lot of positional changes occurred. And yeah, mm-hmm. Russ is looking unlimited. Because of Pete Carroll's stubbornness, essentially, is what it is, to continue to pound the rock game after game in previous years, it really did make me hesitate to go all in. I didn't really take him anywhere in redraft or startups that I did this year. And that is simply for that reason. It's because usually coaches do not change the way they operate. But in this game, in a game script where they were ahead the whole game, like, of course, the Falcons are a good offense that threw for a ton of yards back the other way. And Seattle was never so far ahead that you know they were just running the clock out or anything maybe until the very end of the game they were winning but still in a game but yet usually in the past in that type of game script russell wilson was not allowed to throw the ball that much in this game he had 35 attempts 31 completions and i know that's insane but if you even think of the incompletions the only four of 35 I can remember one horrible DK drop that, like, that's not on Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was essentially perfect for 322 yards and four passing touchdowns. That's nuts. If, even in these game scripts, when they're ahead, if they are trying to be that Kansas City-like offense where they continuously throw the ball, Russell Wilson could very well be at the top of the league. Yeah, no, I, 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 I believe he's QB1 potential. I struggle, so I'm curious to hear for you. What stance do you take? Is this going to happen for the whole year, or is Pete Carroll going to revert to what he has done for the vast majority of his career? I think it's a genuine change. I believe Russell Wilson whipping the ball is going to continue, even when 
they were ahead, even when it makes total rational sense to say, you know what, Carson, we just need you to kind of ground and pound some first downs. They really unleashed him. And I think this is a stance that Pete Carroll is taking. I think that it is going to be a mark on the entire season. So if it's me, I believe in the trend. I hope you are right, but I need to see more. If I'm going to pick a side... It's only one week. If if I'm picking a side, I don't think this trend is going to continue. If they are absolutely blowing teams out, I do think they're going to go back to rushing the ball. They don't want to tire out their franchise quarterback for the end of the season. If they're in great standing in a game in their season, I could see them pulling back a little bit because they know they're going for that playoff push at the end of the season. But you never know. They're in a division where I could see them being in a lot of close games. Yeah. And if in close games they're throwing like this, I definitely agree that Russell Wilson right up there with Lamar Jackson and Pat mm. Holmes. Next name we're going to bring up is another one of my late-round darlings, Darius Slayton. Slayton popped in two touchdowns on Monday Night Football and looked largely like the best pass catcher on the Giants by far. He had nine targets for six receptions, 102 yards, and two touchdowns, as I just said. I know that Golden Tate was out, and I know that Saquon was getting absolutely stuffed at the line, which is either a fault of his own line or the Steelers' D-line, not entirely his. But Slayton looks to me like the most explosive pass catcher on the entire Giants offense. Do you agree? I 100% agree that he's the most explosive. The question is, <laughs> will this trend of him putting up 102 yards and two touchdowns continue? I love Darius Slayton, but I'm going to say no. Couple reasons why. One, if you really watch the game, Evan Ingram had some penalties not go his way, had Daniel Jones thrown some errant balls. I think Evan Ingram is going to bounce back and get way more into it. I think Golden Tate is going to heal up and become inserted back into the lineup. Of course, yeah. And the Giants are going to learn hey, our running scheme that we had in this offseason is pretty terrible so far. They are going to find ways to get Saquon Barkley the ball as a pass catcher because, my goodness, Saquon made an absolutely highlight real screen pass turn from nothing into him hurtling over a guy 35 yards down the field. Hmm. The Giants are going to realize that only doing taking the deep shots to Slayton is not going to work out. I love Slayton as a player. I love his explosiveness. Will he be the most targeted player in the Giants and continually score more fantasy points? Than other guys such, such as Sterling Shepard, who actually think had a really good game as well, quietly? No, I do not. So, Darius Slayton, do not go acquire him right now. I like him as a prospect, but you could wait for a three-week dry spell and from the end zone for him, and that's when I'd go get him. I like it. I actually I respect your composure to not go all in when a guy you love blows like, up. Because, it is hard. <laughs> but, but you're right, because... Darius Slayton is most likely to be the type of player that will blow up and disappear. I do think that Daniel Jones is going to be flinging the ball, and all of the receivers, Saquon and Angram included, are looking like pretty good assets. They were good guys to take a shot at at the end of the year, other than, of course, Golden Tate, who was just hurt. But Darius Slayton is their deep target guy, and he is definitely going to have other games where he scores this much or more. But Golden Tate being out did add a lot of extra targets for him. This was a game when they were behind from the start, and they had to throw it nonstop. Their rushing game, 
I'm amazed they didn't abandon it earlier because the Pittsburgh line was absolutely decimating their offensive line. It was stupid. Every single time they rushed, (laughs) they were just getting hit for minus four yards. And it was like, hey, guys, stop that. It's not helping. Anyway, Darius Slayton is going to have weeks where he scores even more than he just did in week one. He's going to play bad defenses. He is going to absolutely explode, but he will also disappear at times, and I agree that now is not the time to go acquire him. I think the real question is, do you think Darius Slayton is a wide receiver two for the 2020 season? No. I think I do. I think he is going to be a Marvin Jones type player where he will be frustrating at times, he will disappear or explode over the course of the season, he will end up being a valuable asset and will probably outscore both Shepard and Golden Tate from week one to week 17 overall. I see him just missing out on that mark. I see him being wide receiver 25-26. I see him just, just, just missing it. (laughs) Fair enough. Next guy we're going to talk about is a guy I should have been more excited about, in all honesty. He is the Best receiver, no, it is not Brandon Cooks, it's Will Fuller, the best receiver for the Houston Texans. Will Fuller, 10 targets, 8 receptions, 112 yards, no touchdowns, but he still managed to establish himself as the alpha on that offense in terms of wide receivers. I've been all over Brandon Cooks, and I'm ready to almost admit right now, Brandon Cooks does not look like the guy. Will Fuller, at least in this matchup against the Chiefs, looked like he was the one. He was the guy that wasn't just running deep burners, as he only used to do. He was running slants, he was running in routes, he was running comebacks. Is he going to be the wide receiver one for the Texans and continue to be kind of peppered with targets and have an amazingly productive fantasy season? Colin. First, I want to hear your answer because I already know it's yes. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Will Fuller. He's extremely injury prone. I really like Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks was doing nothing for the team. Mm -hmm. Will Fuller looks like the best athlete out there. I think the Texans are going to have a substantially poor overall team this year. They're going to be down in a ton of games. They need a guy like Fuller who can stretch the field and still be running underneath routes. I think Will Fuller is finally going to have his breakout year. He has shown absolute monster flashes. I think he's going to have monster flashes now with a much, much higher floor. So I'm believing in Will Fuller. And if you watch the game, he actually had some pretty egregious drops. I don't think he played very well. No, that's true. Which, sure, it means he's not the best wide receiver out there in terms of skill sets. But if he actually has a good game, if he's having a bad game and still putting up over 16 points, I do believe in Will Fuller. So I'm going to say yes. This is a trend we're going to see. So the reason why I am... On the opposite end of the spectrum, you touched on it quickly. This game actually didn't surprise me, because if I was going to plan out how I expected he would do in a game where they were shooting out against Kansas City, and it was week one, so he was still healthy, Brandon Cook's first game on the team, he's going to blow up. And do you know what? It doesn't even matter to me if Brandon Cook's is relevant or not for him to succeed, because... The problem with Will Fuller, the problem with James Conner, the problem with these type of guys 
is they aren't going to stay healthy, and so I haven't targeted a single one of these guys. Bill O'Brien is planning for Will Fuller to have a great season. I agree. If this is his one season where he is healthy, he will be great. But Come I'm on, sorry. Will. I would sell the crap out of him because he's not going to be healthy. He never has been for a long stretch of any season. He is, I believe, the number two most injury-prone player in the NFL as per rated by player profiler with number one G- being James Conner. Who got injured Monday night. got injured. He is someone that, of course, if he is in my lineup and he's healthy right now, he's in my starting roster 100%, but more likely than that, I am trading him right now because his value is only going to drop because he cannot stay healthy. If I'm wrong, because you never know with injuries, you're always injury prone until you're not, then sure, it'll continue. I do believe the coaches are planning on this trend continuing, but it is Will Fuller's limbs that will not allow it. The fair, it's a fair stance to take. It really is. Especially with the workload he's getting as well. Yeah. There's going to be wear and tear. Mm-hmm. In a different light, let's talk about a wide receiver who did not blow up at all. In fact, he only caught one pass the entire game. It is the training camp drumbeat being unceremoniously silenced with Brian Edwards of the Las Vegas Raiders. Brian Edwards, one target, one catch, nine yards. Colin and I watched the games together. I believe he asked me twice, is Brian Edwards on the field? Where is he? And it's true. The guy was almost impossible to see. You could see him in the in the back frame of the, your television set. Brian Edwards was irrelevant for all things fantasy. And I'm very sad for anyone who happened to have the misfortune of flexing him. Is this a trend that Brian Edwards is completely irrelevant? Or at least not a startable guy in your lineup all year? I do think that's a good caveat to make because with any rookie wide receivers, please don't overreact. Yeah. You can't expect them to explode week one. Like, T. Higgins isn't. T. Higgins actually barely saw the field, but you can't overreact to these type of things. Usually, you cannot expect your rookie wide receivers to blow up, and that is with preseason and a normal training camp. The real question, though, is, is Brian Edwards going to be an asset for you in this first season? And I actually see him progressing and having big games throughout this year. Does that mean he's going to be a consistent wide receiver for you? Probably not. But despite all those times I asked you that question, he had the third highest number of wide receiver snaps on the team. He was only targeted the one time, and he did come down with that ball. But the bigger question is, was he on the field, and was he running routes? And in week one, the answer to those questions was yes. With a rookie wide receiver, biggest thing you can really hope for is that they can find the field and for a third round wide receiver he did he definitely did not live up to the hype i've taken him in some redraft leagues and i can say that i am totally willing to drop him in that format because maybe it's the second half of the year when he finally blows up but i do expect there will be a time when the game script is different, and Carr is throwing a lot more than he, than he did in week one. And I do believe that Brian Edwards will be a weapon in the end zone and overall will become 
over time one of Carr's favorite targets, so I am not panicking at all. One reception is honestly better than most rookie wide receivers do in their first game. I'm with you on almost every part of it. In terms of redraft, drop him now. Get someone who has more potential immediately. I would wait until the very, very later on weeks of the season when you can get this guy for free after he's done nothing. I think a ceiling for 2020 is to be 2019's Darius Slayton, where you, you do absolutely nothing mm-hmm. for a long time. Then come the end of the season where there's a couple injuries, a couple more opportunities, come in, start getting some touchdowns, start getting some credibility on the team, and that's what you want. Yeah, but yeah, I redraft, think, absolutely drop him right now. I think that's a pretty good comp of yeah. he'll have those same, similar type of blow-up games. And Dynasty, just don't panic. Yeah. yeah, at least he's on the field running routes. If you know, you, if you can go buy him. If I sure. doubt anyone's really overreacting that hard when you own him in dynasty, but in case they are, yeah, try to get him. Might as well. The next player we have to talk about is not actually a player. It's kind of three. It's the Miami Football Dolphins backfield. <laughs> is that what they're called? Not at all. I didn't think so. I was like, isn't that just the Giants? <laughs> it's just the Giants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm happy because the football Dolphins are really stupid. I made it up because they made some really stupid decisions, I feel like. Scoring all 11 points last Sunday against Mm -hmm. the England Patriots offense. They used an assortment of Jordan Howard, Matt Breida, and Miles Gaskin. All three of them were relatively split. None of them did substantially well. Yeah, so let's break down how they all did. The person with the least amount of rushing attempts of those three was Brita, who went five attempts for 22 yards, and he also was not targeted. Jordan Howard... Which is bizarre. (laughs) Jordan Howard rushed eight times for seven yards, and he also was not targeted. The player who got the most rushing attempts was Miles Gaskin with nine. He rushed for 40 yards, so he did the best in terms of efficiency. And he was actually targeted four times for four receptions and 26 yards. So of the three, it was actually Miles Gaskin that saw any backfield target. Miles Gaskin, before last week, was really not a dynasty asset to almost anyone who wasn't in an incredibly deep league. The real question here to me, because I don't see Miles Gaskin as becoming a very startable asset, I can't imagine why. Brian Flores would do that, but what do you do with the other two assets? What do you do with Matt Breida and Jordan Howard? Do you think that this is going to continue to be a three-headed monster where none of the three of them are really productive? I can genuinely see it in a Hydra-type situation, becoming a four- or five-headed monster of different guys they're bringing up, Different weeks having a guy who catches more passes, different weeks having a guy who's actually taking red zone carries. I want, at right now, zero part in the Miami backfield. For dynasty purposes, I think it is so difficult to try and discern who it's actually going to be that's going to be useful long term, that if you can get any value in a trade, move away from the Miami backfield. Good things are not coming out of Miami this year. I'm almost certain of it. Yeah, I'm also quite confident that in the 2021 starter of the Miami Dolphins is not currently on their team. It's probably a rookie. It's potentially a free agent. But 
eventually when this team sees themselves as a true contender which will probably be in the next few years maybe next year maybe the year after they're not going to be sticking with the guys they have no. right now they're going to be either spending some draft capital or some free agent money on a guy who's going to come in and take over for this year okay so miles gaskin i throw it out the window do i think he's going to be annoying to the other two yeah i do and that sucks so i am really not high on any of them because it is a three-headed monster but matt breeda i don't expect to continue having zero receptions that is That's, wild to me yeah. they have to try to use his speed see what he did for san fran last year like he has enough ability to be relevant and i do expect that eventually they will see that and i could see his usage in the passing game going up for Jordan Howard if I'm going to take a stab at any of them if I was absolutely desperate in week two if you're forcing me to start one in week two it's Jordan Howard because when he had eight rushes for seven yards many of those rushes were on the goal line when he yeah. was getting stuffed and it's simple that if I am starting any of them it's because I am in an incredibly desperate situation and I'm hoping for a touchdown, so I'll go with Jordan, Jordan Howard. Howard. But truly, these guys all lost a lot of value other than Gaskin. The two of them lost a ton of value in week one. It sucks. They are not valuable assets anymore. They are simply depth that you can be very unexcited about. <laughs> I'm out on the mind. I'm back. out on them. In, in terms of the trend, though, to sum it up, Will there be a trend of frustrating Miami backfield? Yeah, there will. <laughs> yes, yes, there will. That's going to continue. Next name up, I'm going to let Colin field this one as he made I... quite the call. Logan Thomas led the Washington football team in targets. His stat line in week one was eight targets for four receptions, 37 yards, and a touchdown. Obviously, with eight targets, you'd expect a bit more production but of course the touchdown saves his day the real question is do you think that logan thomas is going to continue to be a highly targeted focal point of this offense and i do i talked about this a month ago when i did my deep dive into the washington football team logan thomas started as a quarterback transitioned to tight end he is hyper athletic and other than terry mclaurin I do think he is one of their best receivers. He's simply not going to score touchdowns every week, but if you are in a more shallow dynasty league, he could still be on your waiver wire, and he is absolutely worth blowing some of your fab on. We all know how useless dynasty fab is. Go acquire this guy because he will be targeted fairly significantly in this offense because they do not have a lot of other options, and he is actually, surprisingly, a dynamic player. So yes, I think this trend will continue, but I'm curious of what you think. I really liked your research and evidence heading into the season. I was super nervous about how it would actually play out. And man, Logan Thomas passes the eye test. Mm -hmm. He's he's a big body guy who looked incredibly sure-handed. And not only that, but Haskins seemed to target him pretty happily. And as you're saying, in a wide receiver core that isn't exactly brimming with talent other than Scary Terry and next up probably Steven Sims, mm -hmm. particularly with Antonio Gibson not absolutely exploding onto the scene, 
and in week one, not just a wild run heavy offense established in Washington, Logan Thomas is 100% a viable asset that I do believe is going to continue to have value. Let's get into our 10th trend, which is the Jacksonville backfield. Toby, what do you think about James Robinson? Well, for a fact, I know he received 100% of the rushing attempts for the Jaguars. 16 attempts, that was, for 62 yards, averaging just under 4 yards per carry. He also happened to catch a little screen pass, took it for 28 yards. James Robinson, 22 years old, comes onto the scene, and the Jags clearly commit to him being the rusher. Does this trend continue? I'm locking it in. I'm saying yes. James Robinson, in terms of competing against Chris Thompson, Ozigbo, the Jaguars in week one made a statement that they are going to run the ball with James Robinson. James Robinson did admirably. He didn't get in the end zone, but that's not a big issue because Minshew was throwing passes into the end zone. He didn't have touchdowns vultured by other running backs in that respect. And obviously, he didn't have other running backs even coming in to leave him. I think they have decided that James Robinson is the guy. And it's not just me thinking that, is looking at his 100% rushing attempts. This is a trend that I did not expect. I did not anticipate. But James Robinson passed the eye test for me. He went out there, looked decent. Jacksonville, not going to be a great team. So he's not going to be an awesome asset to have in terms of redraft. You can't be pumped about him as in you've locked down a Leonard Fournette type guy. But James Robinson is going to be the back of this team. And I like picking him up in Dynasty because if he continues to have such a huge workload and he actually does develop as a runner and even a pass catcher, this could be getting a guy for next to nothing that becomes Jacksonville's amazing RB1 when they draft another fantastic quarterback in years to come. I'm, I'm in on James Robinson. I think he's going to continue to get the work. You are definitely more bullish than me because I am still scared about the fact that there are two other runners in this backfield that did not play in week one. What this trend really tells me is that Chris Thompson is nothing. I'm sorry, <laughs> but Chris Thompson getting zero rushes and only two targets in a game where... It's a bit of a slap in the face. Yeah, it was shocking to me. I thought that Chris Thompson was really going to be the guy that, oh, okay, so Azigbo and Armstead are both out week one. I thought Chris Thompson was going to explode, and instead he not only was ineffective, but he didn't even get much opportunity at all. It was all James Robinson. I do agree that James Robinson is a solid player. He actually has a very interesting, productive rookie resume. And despite being an undrafted free agent, all he has done so far in his NFL career and college career is produce. He, in my opinion, is now the favorite between him, Azigbo, and Armstead to take a stranglehold of the backfield. But it's hard for me to, you know, necessarily trade a lot for him. Maybe those two come back and they're like the Miami backfield and there's three guys who yeah, do I nothing. That's totally possible. One of the more important parts of what I was saying is that if he's cheap, which right now he still is, I honestly think it helps that Naheem Hines, Malcolm Brown kind of blew up so that you can have some other relatively no-name guys 
kind of in the limelight, James Robinson can kind of slip underneath. And if you can get him for some part of a tertiary part of a trade, yeah, or if by some miracle he is on your waiver wire, spend that fab on him. Totally. If he's on waiver wire, go fab drop it. Why not? I, I don't even care. You could spend 100% of your fab. But if there's an owner who picked him up and now is seeing, ooh, I just picked up the Minshew of this year where he came from nothing and now he's going to be good the whole year, yeah. I do have some hesitation before I completely buy into that. That's it. That's our top 10 trends, surprises of week one. And if we think they are going to continue or if those were simply outliers, let us know if you think there's any big stories, big surprises that we forgot about or did not cover in this episode. And do that at Deep Dive Dynasty. Make sure to tweet at us. Before we end the episode, of course, it happens every single episode. We are going to be doing a Guess That Dynasty Target, a little game we like to play where I will give Toby a series of hints from 1 to 5 that progressively reveal more and more about the player that I am suggesting that all of you go out and buy. Toby, are you ready to get guessing? Ready. This is a pretty fun one. I like it. Number one. This player just led his team in targets, and I bet you don't realize that he led his team oh in targets. God, I bet I don't realize it. Okay, I'm just going to hack out a name here. I will go with Marquise Hollywood Brown. Yeah, it's a shot in the dark. Nope, you're wrong. <laughs> here is the second hint. This player is a rookie wide receiver. Rookie wide receiver led his team in targets. Yes, sir. Henry Ruggs. It is not Henry Ruggs. It's not? Although, that could totally be true. I, but in this case, I'm definitely looking at a different wide receiver. Despite this player's 10 targets, he ended up only catching 3 passes for 43 yards and 0 touchdowns. Quintus Cephas. You got it. It's Quintus Cephas. Okay, I until looking this up, he was not on my radar as having 10 targets. That was I, the main point. I specifically remember two deep shots where it was 50-50 balls mm -hmm. that he almost came down with from Stafford. Okay, I like it. I'm impressed that you got that 100%. It's just like how up to this point, how much did you pay attention to some of those stat lines? Because <laughs> I would not have realized that he got 10 targets. I'm oh, not I, surprised I, that I'm, he went 3 yeah. for 43, but yeah, 10 targets. That's wild. That's pretty nuts. So my fourth hint was that he was a big benefactor from the wide receiver one on his team being out this year. Yep, would have got it. Yeah, at that point you're basically looking at three different teams. Yeah. And then... I actually probably... I might have got Judy. <laughs> yeah, you totally could have. Yeah. Like that. I knew it was like, okay, there's like a couple of teams that you could go for. And then the fifth hint, I just said that this player was drafted in the fifth round, and when we did our deep dive into the day three wide receivers. Do you remember that episode? It was yeah. a long time ago. We recommended that you pick up this player because he is either going to explode in the late 2020 season or the 2021 season. And our logic then was that one of Amendola or Marvin Jones will not be on the team and he will explode. Of course, he is the fourth wide receiver and he was the benefactor of Kenny Galladay not playing in week one. And so I don't expect that he is going to be hyper-productive because Galladay is going to come back. But what he did was impress me. He somehow 
demanded more targets than those other wide receivers. Yet he did it while being completely quiet. No one is singing from the balconies about their Quintus Cephas, who they picked up in the fifth round of their rookie yeah. draft. No one realizes that what he did, despite not catching those 50-50 balls, was actually really impressive in game one. And it could continue. I wouldn't be surprised if Galladay is out for week two. It could be a six for 80 and a touchdown. And then everyone's like, oh, shit, I've got Quintus Cephas. Like suddenly, oh, I've got a real asset here. Yeah. But they didn't realize that the signs were there in week one. So I am telling you to go trade for him or even go pick him up because in some leagues he's not even owned. Because right now his value shouldn't be incredibly low, but it is. Whether or not he produces soon, we're talking dynasty, deep into the season, Maybe next season, he will be a very relevant player, and I think he will excel. So go target him. Yeah, I like it. As I said, I I remember him almost coming down with the ball in the end zone and going, Quintus might be a yeah, sneaky little dynasty pickup. Mm-hmm. Again, Kenny G, how is he going to impact him? Obviously, he's going he's to lose many of those targets. But I do believe, in terms of the next man up mentality, he has it, and he's going to be the next man up. I can easily see him overtaking a guy like Amendola. Yeah, that, I totally so, could see that as well. I think I'm in at, this dynasty buy. At a minimum, I think they're going to be rotating him in. He's yep. that fourth guy. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. love targeting him right now. That's it, guys. That is our 22nd episode, our post-week one episode. We're into the season now, into the swing of things. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're your hosts, Colin and Toby. Hello. Hello. And goodbye. Have a good one. Peace.